This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. In the middle of my turn, the man repeated himself, squeezing the wheel again, and suddenly he grabbed the back of my neck hard with his hand, forcing me to lean down. There was a figure standing about a foot away from the window, in the bare space between the shrubs and the house. They were staring at us. But when my back was turned, he pulled me down to the ground, wrestled me till he was able to put me in a chokehold. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you five true horrifying tales that will horrify and terrify. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user AdeptMechanic783, featuring voice work by Stephen Brink. So just a detail before everything. This takes place during my mid-twenties, and at the time, I didn't know I had cyclothymia. So I didn't know how to regulate my mind, and my life was quite an emotional mess. It was the summer of 2020, and I was back in town after a long while. At the time, I was living in my grandmother's apartment for work-related reasons, which was in the worst part of town. My friend was living ten minutes from my grandmother's place, so I used to see him often. We used to play video games, have long talks about life and the future, smoke pot, usual best friend stuff. That night though, as I thought about going home around 2 in the morning, my friend told me he had the end of a whiskey bottle and we could drink a glass to enjoy my return into town. We rolled up two cigarettes, poured two glasses, and went walking in the night around the lot in a park, and just continued our discussion. As we were talking into a street lamp, we saw a car with a bunch of guys. They just passed the street, but we didn't think much about it. It was just a car passing by. After the glass and a cigarette, we decided to go back into the apartment. On the way, we saw two or three guys in the street passing us. One of them exclaimed, that's them, but seemed to look away behind us. Again, we didn't think too much and continued to walk. When we arrived, my friend said I could stay on the couch for the night because it was pretty late, but I knew I would be home in 10 minutes by bike. Plus, I didn't want to bother his roommates, so I said no. I added that I used to do this, so there was no problem and he shouldn't worry. Boy, was I wrong. I packed my stuff, said goodbye to my friend, put on my headset, rode towards my grandma's place. After one minute, I saw a sketchy guy on the road. I just put some distance and that was it. I turned to take the usual shortcut, a narrow path with a big rock at the entrance to avoid cars to borrow the street. But this time, there was a car stopped there. All doors open and engine on. Now, it didn't surprise me too much because there was a lot of these in the neighborhood. Silly as I was, I just assumed it was in the way these groups hung out together. Smoking pod, music blasting out of these open cars. It was something I was used to seeing every night in the environment I was living in at the time. Thing is, the path being too narrow, I couldn't just pass by speeding on my bike. 
So I got off the bike and started walking by, only to jump back a few meters further and ride again. When I was a few meters further from the car, a man appeared from the complete darkness with a disturbing grin on his face. I realized there was at least three other guys behind me, just standing there, watching. The guy came just in front of me, squeezing my front wheel between his legs, silent, staring at me with his disturbing smile. My brain was on alert, but I was feeling slow and hazy because of the substances I had in my system. I rolled the bike back and started to turn back saying something like, Okay, I got it. In the middle of my turn, the man repeated himself, squeezing the wheel again, and suddenly he grabbed the back of my neck hard with his hand, forcing me to lean down. Now, I knew I was in real shitty situation here. He was making fun of me saying this to his friends. Oh, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do now? And laughing. Just so you know how this is hilariously stupid, people usually say I look like a nice and chill guy and I got round glasses. That guy was a rather muscular, shirtless, and full of bad hash and cocaine. At some point, I managed to free myself from his grip and took a few steps back and turned. I was now facing back to him, and that's when he threw a punch at the side of my head. White flash. I fell on the ground headfirst, on my back. I was hyperventilated and in a state of shock. He started to search in my pockets and bag, took my phone, headset, papers, everything I had on me. I heard the voice of a girl saying, Enough! Leave him alone! But he didn't pay attention. As he was going through my papers, she obviously knew him and was part of the group. Lying down on the road, I was paralyzed in fear. I remember I was afraid to draw attention on me if I tried to stand up. Also, that I was afraid he would just beat me up and break my arms and legs, or roll me over if they decided to go as the scene took place just near the back of the car. But apparently, they were more interested in my belongings. I decided to stand up. The girl standing near the guy looked at me and said, You need to go. Now. So I took my bike and started to walk away. The other guys were around, watching in complete silence. Suddenly, I heard the man screaming, I'm gonna kill you, bitch. Terrified, I threw the bike and started to sprint toward my friend's flat. I heard him run behind me on almost the whole street before he gave up. I never ran that fast, even in sports class. I knocked at my friend's door. I couldn't breathe. He opened, sat me down, called the police, and gave me a huge glass of water. I woke up his roommate. He appeared more annoyed by all the noise and the fact that I could have led these men to the apartment more than anything else. I finally slept on the couch. This is not even the end of the nightmare. The next day, around noon, I called my friend asking him to help me to try to search for anything they could have left behind. We met at the scene, I found back my now empty wallet, and he found a little sachet full of cocaine. I also found a dead crow. On my way back, I noticed a car similar to the one of the last night in a street nearby. It wasn't moving, the engine was on, didn't want to care. It was bright daylight and I was going home to sleep. When I arrived in the parking lot at my grandma's place, I heard a car honking. I turned back, that same car I saw earlier. It stopped in the middle of the empty road. The men were throwing me a killer look. Screeching tires, and they were gone in a second. Now I was paranoid on top of it all. Walked to the doors, looked all around to see if anyone was watching me. I removed my name from the letterboxes and went inside. That night, I laid in bed with a butcher knife under my pillow. They had all the information about me. I was terrified they would come back at night, hurt my grandmother... The next day, I headed back to my parents in the countryside. 
Again, this is not even the end. My mother found me a psychoanalyst near their home in a small village. I went there and he started to ask me about my bad childhood. I remembered I thought something was off when he started to say things like, God, your childhood was not easy at all, and personal remarks on my life. I thought it wasn't part of their job. This was the first red flag, but the worst happened after I told him what happened to me the other night. He told me that these people spread all the information about me all around the town, that I was now their milking cow and their easy target. And if I showed up in town again, I should be very careful because they would know me. He added they probably assumed that we were a gay couple, and that's the reason he wanted to beat me up. Just before I leave, he told me that he would like to talk about the interesting way I dress and what I wanted to communicate with my different style. I was even more shocked and completely paranoid after that. For no reason, the town's bicycle agency refused to take the police report about the bike theft, so I had to pay the full penalty. Also had to repay all my IDs and cards, the psychoanalyst bills, I ended up paying almost a thousand euros for everything. I lived reclused for two years in my parents' house in the countryside, feeling highly depressed. I felt no one would understand my distress and no one would try to help me at that moment. I felt alone. What still disturbs me to this day is the fact that even after he mugged me and had all my possessions, he still wanted to beat me up only for sadistic pleasure. I'm so glad I have good legs. Now, I often have the PTSDs when I try to sleep, and also a lot of anger and feeling of injustice inside. So to that psycho bastard full of cocaine, the silent group around him and that twisted psychoanalysis, that made me flip into paranoia. Fuck you, and let's not meet again. Can't get enough disturbed? We've got you covered on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes, ad-free listening, shout-outs, and more. Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support. You'll be glad you did. Up next, we hear from Reddit user Tall, Pale, and Matt, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford. My wife and I recently purchased our first home after the birth of our daughter. Everything was as you'd expect in the first few months. Painting, decorating, renovating, basking in our newfound slice of the American dream. But unusual things started happening several months ago. One day I was getting home after work and I passed a strange truck two or three houses down the road from ours. I say strange for a few reasons. We know literally everyone in our small neighborhood and I'd never seen this truck or person before. There's no reason for through traffic to come down our street, and the truck was driving very slowly. Like, put it in drive, but don't press on the gas slowly. As I pulled into the driveway, the truck flipped a U-turn and came back towards my house. Getting out of my car, the truck crawled by and the driver just stared daggers at me as he passed. I don't like to judge anyone based on appearances, and I like to think that I don't scare easily, but something about this guy's eyes gave me a bad feeling. Obviously, this was weird. I mentioned what happened to my wife, telling her we should be more mindful about security. And when I told her the type of truck, my wife said, that same truck drove by me and the guy stared at me when I got home this afternoon. I thought he was just being creepy and checking me out. I tried to tease her a bit to lighten the mood, calling her cocky for assuming any guy driving by was checking her out. I didn't want to freak her out, but I was definitely freaked out. 
and we saw the truck a few more times over the next couple of weeks, either driving by slowly or parked down the block and facing our yard. But one day the truck just stopped driving by and we haven't seen it since. I sort of dismissed the whole thing as me being paranoid. Then other things started happening. In the past month or so, my wife and I have been hearing tapping on the windows at the front of our house at night. It's happened two or three times to each of us separately, always around 10 or 11 p.m., and always a soft but distinct tap, 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 tap. I mean, it sounds like knocking, but with a single knuckle on the metal part of a screen door, if that makes sense. The first time that my wife and I heard the tapping together was last weekend. We were in the front room playing with our daughter at around 9.30, just about to settle her down for bed. Our front room has a large, almost floor-to-ceiling window running the length of the wall next to the front door, which faces the street. We were all sitting on the floor with our backs to the window, reading our daughter a book, when we heard it. Tap, 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 tap. Now, our house is older. Creaks and cracks are not uncommon. This sound was so distinctly intentional. I had my wife and daughter lock themselves in a back room while I turned on all the lights and did a sweep around the outside of the house. Of course, I didn't see anything, and I was ready to dismiss the whole thing as more paranoia over something that probably had an innocent explanation. Until last night. Around 9.45, we heard our daughter making noises in the baby monitor. I waited a few minutes to see if she would settle down, but when it became clear she wouldn't, I got up to put her back to sleep. The layout of the room is important to visualize this next part. See, the room is on the side of our house, but the exterior wall juts out a bit in an L shape, and the corner of this L is made up of windows. So if you're standing in the door to the room, you're directly across from these windows in one corner, and there's a rocking chair in the other corner pointed toward the front of the house. One window faces the street, and the other faces our neighbor's house. A garden bed planted with small shrubs wraps around the outside of the house directly underneath. I was sitting in the chair getting my daughter settled down. I had a lamp on so the room was softly lit. When she fell asleep, I stood up to put her in her crib when something caught my eye. There was a figure standing about a foot away from the window, in the bare space between the shrubs and the house. They were staring at us. I didn't look long enough to see anything more than what appeared to be a man in a light gray hoodie standing a few feet away on the other side of the glass. Sprinting from the room, I brought my daughter back to my wife and I's bedroom, leaving her there while telling my understandably confused wife to lock the door. After turning on all the lights inside the house and turning on all the lights outside, I began moving from room to room. But peering out of the windows into the darkness, I couldn't see anything out of the ordinary. Whoever it was must have taken off after seeing me notice them and make a quick exit. Obviously, I had some trouble sleeping after this. I spent hours checking security cameras and going from room to room looking out windows into the night, hoping but also not hoping that I would see anything that could explain what happened. This morning, I went outside to the spot where the figure would have been standing. I thought, hoped, maybe there was a plant or something that I mistook for a person. But when I got to the spot, I realized the figure had to be standing exactly in a bare patch of ground about two feet in diameter, directly in front of that window. Part of me is still hoping that I'm being paranoid. The mind can play tricks on you in the dark, seeing things that aren't there, especially when you're a sleep-deprived new parent. But with everything that's been happening, I can't shake the feeling there was actually someone out there last night, watching us. Please let me be wrong.
Hi, Chad and everyone at the Disturb Team. I just wanted to leave a voicemail saying that I absolutely love the show. I started listening about a, over a year ago. I don't remember how many episodes you had at that time, but I remember specifically trying not to binge through all of them because I wanted to have, you know, backup episodes to listen to. But I couldn't help myself. It was so good. I love true stories, especially, you know, true, like, creepy, scary stories about creatures and stuff like that. Yeah, now every Thursday I look forward to a new episode and I love listening to it on my drive home from work. But anyway, keep up the good work and you guys are doing great stuff. Thanks. Do you have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email mystory@disturbedpodcast.com. Up next, we check in with Reddit user FunnyLikes2043, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas. On June 3rd, 2016, I had a social media event. I was an Instagram influencer, and the event was a golf tournament. I posted on social to ask followers to come. When he showed up, it didn't surprise me. Sure, the tickets were $250, but for some reason that didn't click with me. It was a drinking event as well, and he showed up at least tipsy, but having a good time. He was also an Instagram model who I knew online. He asked me out on a date for after the tournament. I was a single mom and because of the event, my parents were watching the kid until the next day. I said, sure. We went off on the date, went to a bar and grabbed food. The man was handsome, but mostly charming as heck. We had a beer and then in his car, he offered me some weed. I rarely smoke, but decided, what the heck? We hotboxed, then went off to a bar. He was friendly with everyone and made me laugh quite a few times. Then off to the liquor store for more alcohol and finally to his house. I was drunk and high, so it was easy to sleep with me. He had a bunk bed and I remember him being on top and being very selfish and aggressive and being scared. I didn't stop him out of fear. He had driven and my car was still at the golf tournament location and we were far too far for me to afford an Uber back to my car. The next morning, I went to the restroom and afterward noticed a long pipe coming from the toilet after I flushed. He came out upset because it was to water the weed him and his roommate were growing. I didn't know or was too drunk and high still for it to click. I apologized deeply and I was scared. We came downstairs and I looked at the walls and decor for the first time. Knives and weapons were used as decorations all over the house. I waited for him to have breakfast and drive me back to my car, trying not to show panic. In the car, I knew I needed an excuse that wouldn't hurt his feelings. I told him I had a blast and I'm so bummed because I really like him, but my child's father passed away when he was one, true, and I can't have CPS take him away because I'm around someone growing weed. I told him I didn't care about the weed and didn't want him to change, so it really was a bummer. I let him make out with me one last time as he dropped me off at the golf place. I was shaking as he drove off because of the vibes I got from him. The very next day, after he dropped me off, he met a girl that was 10 years our junior and an 18-year-old mini-me. 
He dated her for three weeks. She dumped him and he stalked her like crazy. So much so he was arrested a few times. In September of the same year, he gets out of jail one last time and heads to a bar, meets a girl there and takes her home. He ends up murdering her, chopping up her body, cutting her heart out and setting it on fire. He's currently serving life for his crime. And I get flashbacks all the time. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something is introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. You're listening to Disturbed. Now, back to the horror. Next up, we check in with Reddit user BumbleQueen420, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby. This is my first Reddit post, and it's gonna be heavy. It's gonna contain mentions of physical and mental abuse. So this is a TW for everyone. I, 18, female, met my ex, male, 22, in February of 2020, but didn't end up dating him till closer to my 17th birthday because he still lived with his girlfriend. He told me they were just friends and he didn't like her like that. 
and I didn't find out later that they were actually still doing things together. And meeting him was the biggest mistake of my life. Everything started off great as every relationship goes. I sent pics because he was my boyfriend, so you know. And of course I let him save them for later use. Another big mistake. I noticed that they were still texting, and when went through his phone, he was saying he still loved her and missed her. I was deeply hurt and called him out on it. He apologized and said it would never happen again, and I told him to text her that we were dating, and he did. She was pissed. She stopped paying for the house and helping him with car payments, and at this time, he had quit Taco Bell and refused to do his new job Ubering because... I need to practice League of Legends because I want to be a pro-league streamer. So I worked my ass off and ended up losing my job because the manager didn't let me work without a doctor's note, so I was stuck working his job while he played his games. Before I met him, I had $4,500 in my savings. He ended up using my card to pay his phone bills, car payments, the apartment, daily weed, fast food, new league accounts, and fucking CSGO knives. But the worst was yet to happen. I found that he was using an old tablet to excessively watch porn, set up dating accounts, and have different Instagram accounts. But on these accounts, he was pretending to be women. I called him out about this and told him I wanted to leave. He freaks out, jumping around and screaming and crying, saying he would change. And I trusted him. Why... As time went on, things got worse, and I was scared to leave, and by the end of this, you will see why. He had shoved me into a wall and getting into my face, screaming, you stole my car key because you didn't want me to work because you're jealous of other girls. Which was stupid, because he had thrown his car keys at me during a different argument. But one day I went through the iPad and found that he was actively not just sending, but selling my pictures from when I was 16 and 17, and doing the same with his other ex. I started to try to get my stuff together and put Gorilla Glue in the charging port to just get rid of the filth I just saw. When he found out that it no longer charged after he used my card to get us food, he was livid. He started screaming and getting in my face. I tried to go around him and grab my things, but when my back was turned, he pulled me down to the ground, wrestled me, he was able to put me in a chokehold. I was sobbing and just accepted that this would be the end. But before I backed out, he let me go, and I started gasping for air and gagging from excessive coughing as he just stood and laughed at me. I tried to crawl away from him when he grabbed my leg and started dragging me out of the apartment. I kicked to try to get him off, which just made him pull me like a dog playing tug-of-war. He eventually dragged me out, keeping my wallet, keys, and all of my valuables. So I sat crying, begging for my stuff, so I could just go home. He came outside and pulled me down the apartment stairs by my leg, and I was left with extreme bruising and some cuts. I did end up calling the police, and they did absolutely nothing. Fast forward, he had to move because he had nowhere to stay or live after getting evicted from the apartment, and I had gotten a new job. One day, it was particularly cold, and I went to get a shirt out of my car, and there he was. BM was sitting in my car on his phone. I left the door unlocked, usually, because I worked in a good area. I called him a cheater and told him to leave. 
He got out of the car and was starting to go around the back, so I jumped in and tried to lock the door from the back seat. He ran over and pulled the door open and started trying to pull me out of the car. I started screaming and kicking at him. Thankfully, a customer saw this happening and called the police. They arrested him and told me to go home for the night, which they ended up firing me for. Unfortunately, he got bailed out, and while he was in jail, he had given out my phone number to other people there. He walked four and a half hours to my house after he was released and was looking around my backyard when my neighbor saw him and called my dad. My dad got in his truck with his gun and waited for him to come out of the gas station. He eventually did, but ran off. He wasn't shot. He had harassed me, saying that he was going to show up to my graduation and ruin everything, and has gotten to the point making multiple fake accounts on Snapchat, Instagram, and TikTok, pretending to be me and his other exes. And as of today, he still pretends to be high school girls, selling our pictures and making fake accounts. Get your voice on Disturbed with our hotline, available 24-7 completely free. Tell us your experience or just leave your comments on the show. Visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com on your mobile device or computer. And finally, we close out the show with an anonymous email submission featuring voice work by Danuta Marie. I'm a middle school teacher. I have never had any experiences in my three-year career as an educator that has shook me to the core as much as this one. I think what made this experience more horrifying was that this lockdown happened a week after the Uvedale school shooting. The majority of the staff at my school felt something after hearing what happened in Uvedale. Whether that be anger, grief, or fear, that could have been us. This happened on the last day of the 2020 to 2021 school year. The school was scheduled to have a field day. Of course, all the students were really excited to spend the whole day outside, competing with their friends. School started and all students were walking to their classrooms at 8.30 and were seated by 8.35 a.m. It was a morning like every other. My homeroom students were eating their breakfast, listening to me giving the rundown of the day. As I was telling the students where they need to be for field day, the intercom came on blaring the alarm, which screamed, lockdown. All my students and I looked at the intercom confused. A lockdown drill on the last day of school? To give a bit of context on why I thought it was a drill, we, teachers, were told that we had to have a lockdown drill for the month since we didn't have one yet. I let out shit under my breath. I left the keys to my classroom in my backpack all the way on the other side of the room. I rushed to get my keys from my backpack, killed the lights, and locked the door. I let my students stay in their seats. Luckily, they were silent and keeping each other silent. As I was walking back to my desk from the door, the door was all the way to the left while my desk was all the way to the right of the room. I heard the door handle jiggle, then open. Two women, whom I recognized worked in the cafeteria, came rushing into the room without locking the door behind them. Annoyed because they didn't lock the door and confused that they came into the room, I went back to the door and locked it. I checked my phone to see my coworkers have already blown up our group chat. We were all asking the same question. Is this a drill? Have any of you heard from any admin yet? What's going on? 
when all of a sudden, the veteran teacher in our group texted, this is not a drill. Barricade your doors now. My heart instantly dropped. My blood ran cold. I was in complete disbelief on what I read that I had to reread the message again. I looked up from my phone to look at my classroom. Tears welled up in my eyes. I took a deep breath. This is it, the moment every teacher fears. I shook my head and walked quietly to my desk to grab the scissors. I didn't want my students to panic, so I didn't barricade my doors. I stood by the door, scissors in hand, ready just in case. Unfortunately, my door was the one nearest to the entrance, so all these scenarios began running through my head. If anyone came through the door, I would fight. My phone was blowing up again with messages, but not from teachers. My best friend was messaging me. Her sister, who is also a student where I work, was messaging her saying she loves my best friend. The sister also texted her saying that she heard there was someone in the school parking lot with a weapon, presumably a gun. She wasn't sure if that person came in. My best friend worried about what her sister told her and messaged me since maybe I knew a bit more about the situation. I replied back telling her that I wasn't sure what was happening, but the lockdown was real. That's when she started to fill my inbox with, I love you, please come back home safe. No, you and my sister need to come back home safe and sound. I almost wept when I saw those messages, but I knew that if I wasn't calm, my students were going to freak out. I wasn't sure how long that lockdown was. I later found out it was 50 minutes, but it felt like an eternity. We got a message that we were clear, but had to keep the doors locked until the police came to sweep the school. I turned on the lights and took a seat, I had to clear my mind. I looked down at my hands and noticed I was trembling. I guess the adrenaline was wearing off. A lot of my students began speaking amongst themselves, hugging and crying. Of course, due to the situation, the students were dismissed early, but I cannot stress the look in all my colleagues' eyes. We all looked so shaken up. Many were already in tears. All staff was gathered together in the cafeteria and were dismissed early. We all hugged and cried before we left for home we thought we were next. This has been tops down one of the most horrifying experiences in my life. I don't wish this type of fear on anyone. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale, either in writing or send us a voicemail. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com submit to see all the submission options. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com disturbedpodcast. And a big thanks to our newest supporters, Christina Zawacki, D. Lish, Jacqueline Sanchez, and Jasmine Darissa. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>